Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So last week I began a new uh, series of messages on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, we're going to be using 1 Corinthians 12 as our roadmap uh, for, this, uh, for this trip. St. Paul wrote uh, this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And I told you last week that Tar- Corinth was a, was a prosperous town, but it was a wild and crazy party town. It was known for its wild and crazy uh, party nature. Commentator Leon Morris describes Corinth as intellectually alert, uh, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. Of all the places forgot to put a church, right? His ways are not our ways. The theme of the book seems to be living the Christian lifestyle in a pagan society. I think there, there's some good strategy in that book for us if we would try to do the same thing. The first half of uh, this epistle, Paul is correcting problems that are in the church. He'd received letters and, uh, of concern and of complaint of issues that were going on in the church. And Paul, in the first half of this epistle, he's addressing and bringing correction to those problems. The second half of the book is instruction. He's teaching them about a vast array of topics and in chapter 12, the topic is, is spiritual gifts. He says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, uh, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. And uh, so I finished uh, last week by summing up the instruction in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul gives the, the church at Corinth uh, concerning spiritual gifts. And in just a few points, this is what it says. He doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning the gifts. That would be good for us, too, that we would be knowledgeable, that we would be well-informed, that we'd be educated concerning the gifts of the Spirit. He said that the one true and same God is the only source of these gifts. They're in a pagan society. They have gods for everything. And Paul's trying to communicate clearly, look, There are lots of different kinds of gifts, but the source is the same. It's the one God. It's the true God. It's the God I told you about. That's the only God where these gifts are coming from. There are a diversity of gifts. This is one of the other points he makes. Given by the same God and as he determines. So though there's a variety of gifts, there's a diversity of gifts. God's the one who gives them, and he gives them as he determines to give them. Another point that he makes clearly is that the gifts were given for this purpose, for the common good, that it would be good for the whole community, and that the gifts were interdependent upon one another, much like the different parts of a human body. Though they function differently, and each different part has great capabilities, they're interdependent upon one another to be able to function uh, to its fullest effectiveness. So... Just to repeat that, he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning the gifts. The one true and same God is the only source of these gifts. There's diversity of gifts given by uh, the same God as he determines. The gifts were given for the common good of the community, and they are interdependent upon one another. Today, I'm going to continue on in the series. I'm going to continue laying a foundation uh, for, uh, for this series I'm going to be drawing upon some old vineyard resources I rediscovered amid the myriad volumes of my, of my personal library. It was like finding gold, it was going through cells and 
Um, I first got exposed to the vineyard back in 85, um, and uh, Lance Pitlock and Mike Churgiano and a bunch of other guys, they came and they planted a church uh, on Long Island, and they began to host these conferences at Hofstra University in Nassau County. And um, they would do a healing conference, healing one, two, three, and then they come and they do a, a conference on spiritual gifts, and they do three of those, and they do a conference on spiritual warfare, and anything that they did, we loved it. The worship was amazing, the, the teaching was fresh and new to us, and, and I'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to books <laughs> and teaching material, so I just, I just captured everything. And so as I was preparing the sermon this week, I'm thinking, man, I've got something. I know i got something somewhere. And so I was digging through my stuff, and, and I found some old vineyard resources. And so the next few weeks, I'm going I'm to draw upon those resources. Now, I want you to know today, I'm going to use lots of scripture verse. I've got lots of scripture <laughs> for you today. And so you may want to take notes. Um, and I do this. I'm using lots of scripture really out of respect uh, for you and for our church's history. Um, the founder of Charlottetown Community Church, Brian Metzger, uh, was and is an excellent uh, Bible teacher. He's laid a solid foundation uh, for it. Um, and I know that my emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit are new. So what I want to do is I want to take advantage of your firmly established confidence in the Word of God to communicate the authenticity, the, the validity of a new emphasis on spiritual gifts. So I'm going to use a lot of scripture today um, with that purpose in mind, so you, just, you might want to take some notes. So, if you're open to 1 Corinthians 12, you know, please follow along as I begin reading at verse 4. This is St. Paul writing. He says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one, get that, each one, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, for the truth and the power that's in your word. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to have its full impact on us and let the fruit be this. Make us to be more like Jesus. Make us to be people who have his heart, who has his heart, who does the things he did. Make us more like him, oh God. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's continue laying a, a foundation for, for this series on the gifts of the Spirit. We are uh, the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we're called to continue the ministry of Jesus. Right? In John 13, 15, Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Well, what did he do? Well, he did lots of things. 
And part of the things that he did is he operated in spiritual gifts. But that's not all that he did. So to understand our ministry, we need to understand Jesus' ministry. What did Jesus do? I said many things. Uh, we could go on forever with a list of things that Jesus did. But let me mention three things that Jesus did. First thing he did was he revealed the Father. He revealed the Father to us. John 17, verse 6. It says, I have revealed uh, you to those. Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have revealed you to those you've given, you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. He has revealed the Father to us. Verses 25 and 26 of verse 17 says, Jesus is continuing to pray. He says, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them. I have made you known to them. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. So one of the things that Jesus did, and this is his own words as he's communicating to the Father, is that Jesus reveals the Father to us. Another thing that Jesus did is he's reconciled man to God. There, there was a broken relationship there. He bridged the gap. He reconciled us to the Father. Paul states it well in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So we've been reconciled to God because of what Jesus did. Jesus revealed the Father. He's reconciled us to the Father. These are two of the, two of the biggies of all the things he's done. And the third thing I want to point out is that Jesus undid the works of the devil. Uh, 1 John 3, 8. John writes, he says, the reason the Son of God appeared. You've got to understand, that's a bold statement, right? If someone says, this is the reason why he came, you know, that, that would be one of those verses I want to have highlighted. I'll put a little star next to that. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus did. He came and he undid the bad things the evil things, the destructive things that the enemy did. Now, Jesus did much more than this. But I'm, I'm painting with a wide brush looking at some of the main things that he did. <clears throat> First John, excuse me, John 21, 25 makes it clear that Jesus did a lot. It said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. All right? That's pretty... Pretty strong statement as well. Jesus did lots of stuff. But at the very least, he revealed the Father, he reconciled man to God, and he undid the works of the enemy. Now, how did Jesus accomplish this? I'm laying a foundation, right? He's our example. How did he do it? Well, first off, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, excuse me, in, um, in Acts chapter 10. He says, you know what has happened Throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How did Jesus do these things? Because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
So how did Jesus accomplish this? Well, first of all, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second way he accomplished this was by dependence upon the Father. One of my favorite verses, John 5, 19. Jesus speaking, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. Okay. So Jesus did these things. He, he revealed the Father. He reconciled us to God. He undid the works of the enemy. And he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did it by dependence upon the Father. So then what are we called to do? Well, I think we're called to do those very same things. We're called to reveal the Father. I especially believe we're called to reveal the Father's love. We have the privilege of communicating with both our actions and our words the message of the Father's lavish and extravagant love to a lost and to a hurting world. I don't know of anyone whose cup is full to overflowing of the truth of God's love and grace toward us. I don't know one person who couldn't use more of an expression of the Father's heart, the Father's love. Everybody needs it. And I tell you, maybe your experience is like mine. If your cup is full today, it might have been empty yesterday. It could be empty tomorrow. You know, life hurts. I feel like I get shot full of holes some days and my cup leaks. What about you? (laughs) I need more. Hey, on my wedding day, Nadine expressed her great love for me, right? But but she's been expressing that love for me for 32 years ever since. I needed to know it that day when we made covenant relationship commitment to one another, but I still need to know. I still need those acti- that activity, those expressions of love between us. As a people, I believe we were created with a need to experience the Father's love. And that's for us who are already inside the kingdom. What about those out there? What a privilege we have to be messengers of the Father's love. How long did I preach on 1 John 3, 1? See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So I believe like Jesus, we're called to reveal the Father. And just as Jesus was a reconciler between man and God, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, and, uh, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled to us to himself through Christ and gave us and gave us and gave to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. That God, is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins Against them. Is that really in the book? Do you have a Bible there too? Does it say in your book, not counting people's sins against them? That's another thing I want highlighted in my book. I need a star next to that. I need to be reminded of that. Because that ain't the message the church has been preaching to me for about 30 years. Not counting people's sins against them. He is better than you think he is. He loves you more than you realize. And he's not as hard on you as many other preachers have told you he should be. 
He's good. That's the message the world needs to hear. <clears throat> that God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. And he has committed to us the message of recon reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So not only are we called to reveal the Father's heart, his love, but we're also called to this ministry of reconciliation, just as Jesus was, to bridge the gap between man and God. And, just like Jesus, we too are called to undo the works of the enemy. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, 7 to 8, this is what he says, As you go, Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. That's the work. That work there is undoing the works of the enemy. Healing the sick. That undoes the enemy work. Works. Raising the dead. Boy, that'll separate the men from the boys, right? That's, that's undoing. The, the work of the enemy. Cleansing those who have leprosy. Driving out demons. Man, that's undoing the work of the enemy. That's the proclamation. He told, he told them, the kingdom of, you know, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And the healing the sick and raising the dead and the cleansing the lepers and driving out demons. That's the demonstration of the kingdom. We got the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. That's how that's how the works of the enemy are undone. That's how Jesus did it. That's how his disciples did it. That's how that's how we do it. Now I'm concerned that too much of the church has just relied on the proclamation part and we've abandoned the demonstration part. It's a whole lot more effective when you do both. The gifts are in the book. Gifts are in the Holy Spirit in the book. 1 Corinthians 12, there's no debate upon whether or not the gifts are supposed to be in the church or they're still functioning. The gifts are there. It's a given. The gifts are still active today. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside you and me. We're to do the things he did. Matter of fact, take it a step further. Scripture says we're to do greater things. Wow. Proclamation. And demonstration. I want to go there. That's what I want to live. I want that to become the reality of my existence. I want to take you there if possible. So how do we do what Jesus did? Well, we do it with authority and power. We do it with the authority of the kingdom. And we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, I have all authority. Now you go you go with the delegated authority I'm giving you to do the things I've called you to do. Now, when he says go make disciples of all nations, do you think it might have included more than just the proclamation part? 
that it included the demonstration part. Well, because that's what he did. He teach them everything, it says here, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, what did he command them? He told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, right? He told them to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. That's what he discipled them to do. And now he's, with the authority he has, this is what he's telling them to replicate. And that makes sense. Am I reading anything into this that's not there? I think this is in the book. I think we're supposed to embrace not only the proclamation, but the demonstration of the message of the gospel. That's good news. So authority means that we've been given permission. We're authorized to go and do thus and so. Power means that you've been granted the ability. Uh, Luke 10, 19. Just you know, another scripture verse to drive it home. Jesus says, I have given you authority. He's given us the authority to do this. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You think Jesus is talking about crushing scorpions and killing snakes? Right? That's metaphoric language. For snakes and scorpions would be metaphoric language for, for demonic activity and to overcome all the power of the enemy. We've been given his authority to do these things. So, how do we do what Jesus did? We do it with authority and power. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Power and authority for proclamation and demonstration. We do what Jesus did by utilizing uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We too do what we see the Father doing. Do you understand that the ability to see what the Father is doing is a spiritual gift? It's not a natural gift. There might be things that we can cognitively identify using our natural mind, but to see what the Father's doing, we need eyes that can see into the spiritual realm. That's a spiritual gift. Just to repeat John 5.19, Jesus said the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. If Jesus could do nothing by himself... How much can you do by yourself? Right? He, needed, he needed the guidance. He needed the assistance, the cooperation, the synergy of working together with the Father. Well, we've been given the Holy Spirit for the same purpose. To be able to see the word there means to perceive by the senses that we would have the capability to perceive what the Father's doing. How do we do what Jesus is doing? We do it with power and authority. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do it by utilizing spiritual gifts. Okay, still laying foundations today for where we're going to go in weeks to come. So what are spiritual gifts? I've heard spiritual gifts defined as gracelets. Anybody ever heard the term gracelet before? 
No? Back in the day, you familiar with Peter Wagner? Anybody ever heard of Peter Wagner? Oh, a couple of people. Uh, contemporary of John Wimber, prolific author, um, extraordinarily intelligent, gifted man, was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary for many, many years. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Peter Wagner who termed the phrase gracelets, that this is what spiritual gifts are. <clears throat> that gracelets were little portions of God's grace. And gracelets are spiritual gifts, just to define them, are manifestations of the Spirit that communicate and demonstrate God's love and power. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? They're manifestations of the Spirit that communicate and demonstrate God's love and power. We're gifted. We've been gifted to serve. The gifts are given to us to use for the benefits for the benefit of other people. In other words, we're blessed to be a blessing. Now, here's the nature of a gift. A gift is given. A gift isn't earned. Right? If you went to your employer on payday and he, and he gave you a little box and it had a pretty a ribbon on it and he said to you, I have a gift for you. And you untied the, the bow and removed the wrapping paper and opened it up and inside was your paycheck. You might be a little annoyed, right? You're thinking, this isn't a gift. What are you saying? I earned this. Dude, I worked hard. I sweat for this. This is not a gift. This is earned. We don't earn spiritual gifts. A gift is freely given. They're not trophies dispensed as prizes for long and faithful service. They're just gifts that are given. And guess what? They're given to mature people. And gifts are given to immature people. They're given to responsible people. <laughs> and gifts are given to irresponsible people. That's why sometimes we see very gifted people do very stupid things. Anybody ever seen that? I surely have. Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. He's, he doesn't take a gift back when he's given it to you. He gives you a gift. The gift is yours. It's irrevocable. It's given without repentance. He doesn't take it back. That's why we can see extremely uh, anointed people do ridiculously foolish things. We can see them behave very badly and still have the power of God on them. I've had at least two occasions in my life where I watched someone operate publicly in ministry. And from across the room, as far from me as, as Garfield is right now, I could feel the Spirit of God on him. You know what it feels like when the Spirit of God's in the room? You can feel that weight, that pressure on you. And I could feel the Spirit of God coming off of him as I despised everything I saw him doing up there on the platform. He was doing things I would never do. They were just offensive to me. And vastly more demonstrative and flamboyant than I would ever feel comfortable doing. So I hated how he was doing what he was doing, but I could not deny the fact that I could feel the Spirit of God. I don't understand that, other than this, that people can be extremely anointed and absolutely wrong both at the same time. Anointing, the gift, isn't a validation of your opinion. It's not God's stamp of approval on everything you ever say and do. It's just evidence of the fact that we have a good God who gives good gifts to his children who sometimes don't play well with their toys. Every, right? 
Every parent here has bought gifts for their children that were misused and abused. Don't we accept, expect even? Why would we be surprised if we see that we receive gifts from God and sometimes they're misused and abused? So listen to me. Don't judge the gifts of the Spirit by its, its, its most inappropriate usage. That would be like saying, you know what? There's too much pornography on the internet. Don't ever go online again. There are people who use that for wicked, evil things. Don't go online. Google's evil. Don't go to Google. Don't have a computer. Don't have a smartphone. No. Yes, there are people who are very gifted and do stupid things. Well, then let's learn how to do it better. Let's how to use it for life and not death. Am I making sense? I'm trying to be real. The spiritual gifts are tools. They're tools which enable believers to be effective in whatever area of ministry is required. It's spiritual empowering. Empowering which equips the believer for service. So, okay, so then how do we learn to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. If the way that we do what Jesus did is we do it with the power and authority he's given us, he's, we, do it with, we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? and we do it by utilizing spiritual gifts, how do we learn? How do we practically learn how to do this stuff? Well, I think it's done this way. It's on-the-job training. You learn by doing John Wimber used to say that discipleship is more caught than taught. It's the discipleship loop that Jesus employed. Jesus would do stuff. And then he would have disciples come with him when he did stuff. Right? And they would do stuff together. And then they would do stuff and Jesus would would observe. And then Jesus would send them out to go do the stuff. Right? They did it. And he watched. Then he invited them to do it with him. And then he, they did it and he watched them. And then he just let them go do it. That's a pretty good training model. That's on-the-job training. All of us have probably had some arena in life where that's happened with us. We've gone to a new job. We didn't know what we were doing. Somebody else there knew what they were doing. We watched them do it. Right? And then they let us do it with them. And then they let us do it. And they kind of just observed us. And then eventually... When we showed some proficiency in that area, they said, all right, now you go do this. This is your job now. Well, it kind of works the same way with spiritual gifts. Sometimes I think people have in this mind that God gives a gift and it lands on a, perfect, a person in, at a level of perfect maturity. That's just not how it happens. It doesn't happen with a pastor. Someone's called to be a pastor. There's lots of training for the process. <clears throat> and there are many, many steps to happen before they're entrusted with their own congregation. And even then, it's a learning process. We see the same thing for teachers. Even if someone has an anointing, a gifting to be a teacher, there's a training process that goes on, right? And, and they're going to teach for a while, and, and in the beginning phases of teaching, they're probably going to make mistakes. But, but we have a box for that. It's okay, because they're in training. Guess what? It works for prophets, too. In the Old Testament, they had schools of the prophet. Why would you need a school of the prophet? <laughs> because there's a training process. And don't you know that there'll be mistakes made in the process? And, and hopefully good students, 
after they've watched somebody who does it well and then, and then does it with them and then, and then does it while they're being observed and finally gets released and out they're allowed to go do it. It's a process. The gifts of the Spirit, there's a learning process. We don't begin in perfection. There's nothing in life that we begin at perfection. Birth is messy. But it's worth it. It's incredibly worth it. So Wimber said discipleship is more caught than taught. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. Everyone does it imperfectly. And that's why it's messy. God seems to be okay with messy. You know, he could have done this some other way. Remember the movie The Matrix? I love the part in The Matrix. They'd stick that thing in the back of Neo's head, and he's like, oh, I know karate, right? I'm thinking, man, there were so many books in my life I'd love to read. They could just stick that thing in the back of my head. He's like, oh, I have all that knowledge. Well, God could have done it something like that. He could just, boom, put, us in, put it in us, and we had the perfect capabilities. He, he's seen, God, we have a God who's into the process. He's into the journey. And sometimes the journey's messy. God seems to be okay with that. He's okay with messy. And you probably discovered already that, that so am I. So everyone gets to play. Now, how do we do this? I believe that it's extraordinarily helpful to learn to do the things that Jesus did, to learn to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, if we have an atmosphere of love. It's extremely helpful. I spent a long time in 1 Corinthians 14.1 where it says, follow the way of love. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. An An atmosphere where we're secure in God's love for us and actively loving one another makes for a healthy environment for operating spiritual gifts. So you see, spiritual gifts are developed in a climate where risk-taking is encouraged and where it's safe to make mistakes. Doesn't that make sense? Spiritual gifts develop well in a climate where risk-taking is encouraged and it's safe to make mistakes. Perfectionism and a performance-based model of Christianity are destructive and hinder the development of spiritual gifts. If you're afraid to make a mistake, you'll never try. You'll never risk. My good friend Jim Driscoll says that we need to become good at doing things badly. In other words, if you're not willing to do something badly, you will never try anything new. Unless you could do it perfectly, you won't risk. We have to become good at doing things badly so that we can enter the process of finally doing things well. That's why uh, an environment of perfectionism or a performance-based approach to, to our faith are such a hindrance and so destructive to the development of spiritual gifts. How do we learn to operate in spiritual gifts? Listen to me. It's tactile and not cerebral. We need to be engaged. Spiritual gifts are developed not only where others can observe exercising spiritual gifts, but they're they're developed in an environment that's not exclusively, listen to me, not exclusively academic. An exclusive academic setting is not going to get us from here to there. There has to to be tactile. There has to be some hands-on. There has to be some actual doing. 
So the gifts of the Spirit are not a cerebral exercise. They're not, the gifts of the Spirit are not discovered, are not realized in your life through research alone. The gifts are given sovereignly by God to be experienced by men and women. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. If we want to be a follower of Jesus, wouldn't it be a good idea then if we had the ability to hear his voice? If his sheep listen to his voice, and then he knows them, there's a knowing, there's a relationship, there's a, a knowledge that's, that God has of us, and we have him. If that's a process, if Jesus saying, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I want with all my heart to be a follower of Jesus. I'm thinking it's going to be a whole lot easier to follow him if I can hear his voice. Don't you think it would be a good thing if all of us could hear his voice? How much greater would our effectiveness be as followers of Jesus if we could hear his voice? That's a spiritual gift. Listening is experiential. To be followers of Jesus, we need ears to hear. So, a few steps. How do we get spiritual gifts? So, we, I'm taking you through a process here. Can you see this today? How do we get them? Well, the first thing we do is we ask God. We ask God for gifts. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. We ask him for gifts. The second thing we do is we trust him. Now, this is where it's a rub for people. This is where it gets difficult. And especially it gets difficult if you've seen a model of spiritual gifts operating that you're not impressed with. Or maybe you yourself have had a bad experience with them. I know. I mean, I've asked for a show of hands in the past. Lots of you have had bad prophetic experiences, for example. So not only do we need to ask God, but there's a level of trusting him too. I love Luke 11, 11. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Powerful verses. He knows how to give good gifts to his kids. He's a good dad. We can trust him. If we ask him for the Holy Spirit, he says he's not going to give us a scorpion. If we ask for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give us a demonic spirit. I have vastly more faith in the Father's ability to lead me than I do in the enemy's ability to deceive me. I've learned to trust him. I learned to trust his heart. I learned, and from that I've learned to trust what he shows me using gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do we get gifts of the Holy Spirit? We ask. We ask God. We trust God. Third, there's an empowerment that's necessary. 
we need, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Let me read that to you, verses 1 to 3 in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a mighty, violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now the apostles needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you think maybe we need it too? They walked with Jesus for years. They'd had a relationship with him. And still there, there needed to, to be this additional encounter at a separate time where the Holy Spirit came and filled people. <coughs> if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it would be a good thing if you were. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's empowerment. It's empowerment for ministry. It's empowerment to live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we get spiritual gifts? We ask, we trust, we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's another, another way as well, and I like to call it impartation, where somebody who's gifted can impart to you what God's given to them. Paul makes reference to this in his, letter, in his second letter to Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul and others prayed for Timothy. And there was a transfer of gifting from one person to another. Freely they received, freely they gave. So we ask God, we trust God. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's an impartation that happens. And then what? Is it over then? Is that the end of the process? No, that's birth. That's the beginning of the process. Then the training loop begins. Where you watch other people do the stuff and eventually you do the stuff. <clears throat> that's why when I did the, the spiritual gifts workshop, that I not only gave instruction each week, but we had exercises where we actually practice doing stuff. It's not enough to have information. You need to have experiences along with it. It's not enough to just have instruction. Let me put it this way. If you want to learn how to swim, you can't do it just by reading a book or listening to a lecture, right? If you want to learn how to swim, at some point, you've got to get in water and actually do it. Well, that's what it's like with the gifts of the Spirit. I can instruct you with the information I've gathered from now until forever. And you'll never learn how to actually operate in the gifts of the Spirit until you too get in the water. At some point, you've got to do more than just learn. Now, learning part's important. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm just saying it's insufficient. We need more than that. And this, this whole impartation thing, that was a huge part of, of my own journey. It's how it worked for me concerning the prophetic gifts that God's been developing in my life. I had the privilege of hosting conferences with many extraordinarily gifted people. They'd come to town, 
And they would tell us these stories of these incredible experiences that they had with God. And it stirred my heart. And I'm thinking, God, <laughs> you're no respecter of persons. Right? It says in Acts 10, 34, God does not show favoritism. I'm thinking, if you did it for them, you do it for me too. Why not? If, and my, my thought was this. I had no desire, trust me. I had no desire then. I have no desire now to become some world-famous prophetic minister, some itinerant that would travel around. Oh, I just want a bar. I didn't want that at all. <laughs> I really don't. What I wanted was if there was something available that would allow me to have a closer relationship with God, that would allow me to personally encounter him at a more intimate level, that's what I wanted. That's what it stirred in my heart. So these guys would come, they'd tell their stories, and I wanted what they had. God did it for them, I'm thinking he could do it for me. And so the first thing I did is I, I asked God, I prayed. Man, I, I prayed and kept on praying. I think for a two-year period, I prayed, God, give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear. Every time I pray, oh, God, open my eyes to see. Give me eyes that see and ears that hear. And then every time one of these guys came through, I said, pray for me. Would you lay hands on me and give me what God's given you? Would you pray for impartation? Would you pray for me that my eyes would be open and that my ears would be open? I want more God. I want to experience more God. I want to see what he's doing. Just like Jesus said, I want to see what the Father's doing. And so these guys would come. Bob Jones would pray over me. Paul Keith Davis would pray over me. John Paul Jackson would pray over me. And I got, and my friend Jim Driscoll would pray over me. And these guys come, and there would be impartation. And I tell you what, you could feel a difference. It would just bump things up a notch in my process of learning how to do the stuff. I'm learning how to operate in spiritual gifts. So that's another part of the journey. It's another part of the process of how we get spiritual gifts, impartation. We go to people who have what we want and we ask them to give it to us. And then the last part is this. We risk. We get in the water. We take a shot. We try. We step out in faith. And for me, especially on the, on the prophetic side of things, that would happen at outreaches or in church services or personal ministry settings. There was, because I'm the pastor, there's a little bit more pressure on me, Right? I was just as ignorant and unexperienced as anybody else in the room. But because I was the leader, there was some expectation that I knew a little bit better than they did. I'm just like thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> and so it didn't make me any better at doing this stuff, than it, but it did motivate me to risk. I wanted to risk for myself, but honestly, I wanted to risk more for them. I wanted them to get this. I thought this was good. I thought this was God. So I was willing to play the part of the fool if necessary if it would help pave the way for other people and make it a little bit easier for them. Risk is part of it. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit are not a risk-free endeavor. There is some risk involved. And I think that, that there are things that we can do to be a little wiser in how we do it. But I've, I've come to be comfortable with the reality that Nobody will do it perfectly. There'll be risk. There'll be mistakes. And I'm thinking people will risk again if they feel like they have a loving safety net under them, even if they don't do it perfectly. But risk is part of it. 
And so for me, a lot of times, someone would be sitting in front of me at an outreach or a personal ministry time or something on Sunday, and I could feel the Spirit of God stirring and moving. And I'm looking at that person. I'm thinking, man, I got nothing. I just, I got nothing. But I open my mouth and I say, when I look at you, I see. And boom, God would give me something. And half the time in my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm making this up. Really. But then they would cry. <laughs> or they would shake. Or it would rock their world. They'd be like, how did you know that? I'm thinking, guy, dude, I'm not as smart as you think I am. <laughs> God just told me something, and I took a risk to repeat what I, what I perceived he was saying. And, and so that risk gave me a little bit more courage. I built up my faith. I think, oh, maybe I can do this again. So I risk again. And so as a result, I see spiritually and I hear spiritually better today than I did 10 years ago. Now, I've told you before, God's given me eyes to see, not because I'm good, but because he's good and he's kind and he's generous and he loves me. I don't see perfectly. I see in part. I know in part, just like scripture says. But I see a bigger part, and I know a bigger part today than when I started. Doesn't that make sense? If you do something long enough, you, you get better at it. Well, that's what's happened for me. I've practiced. I've exercised the gifts of the Spirit. I've taken risks. I've learned lessons. A lot of it through on-the-job training. And so a decade later, I see better. I hear better than I did a decade ago. I'm hoping that as I continue this journey a decade from now, guess what? I'll see even better yet then. I'll know better by the Spirit then. I'm hoping that for you too. If I can create a safe enough environment where you're willing to risk, that a decade from now, your relationship with God will be more intimate than it is today. That there'll be better communication between you and the lover of your soul. Wouldn't that be a good thing? And that as a result of that increased communication, there would be greater effectiveness in the things that God's called you to do. That's why. That's why I have an emphasis on gifts. So in the weeks to come, I'm, gonna can, I'm going to use the metaphoric language of the human body uh, from 1 Corinthians 12 to break down the gifts of the Spirit into four groups. Um, the gifts of discernment, or the eyes of God, which include wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. The gifts of power, we'll look at as the hand of God, just to give categories and language. We look at healing, faith, and miracles. The gifts of speech, the mouth of God. We'll look at prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And, and we'll go a little bit further and look at what I think are, are gifts of passion, the heart of God. We'll look at mercy and encouragement and service. And then we'll probably explore some of the other gifts mentioned in Scripture. For each one, I'll, I'll briefly cover, answer these questions. What is the gift? I'll give some definition. What are the purposes of the gifts? What's their area of use? How do they work? You know, the receiving of the gift, what, what's its application? And, and we'll offer some biblical models of the gifts uh, being used. So that's, um, so that's where I want to go from here in the weeks to come. I think it'll be good.
So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, would you so work and move in us right now that you would increase our sensitivity to you? That we can actually feel you in our midst. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So if you would, with eyes closed, I want you to I want to I want to guard your dignity, your privacy. Anybody here today kind of feel like you're spiritually out of gas? Anybody there? Feel like there's been holes in your tank that could you could use to be filled up somewhere? Okay. Yeah, I understand that feeling. <clears throat> Is there anybody here today that's never experienced what I call the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Has anybody ever prayed for you to be baptized? Has it never happened? Have you not been prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anybody else? Okay. So let me pray especially for you guys. Thank you, Lord. So just relax, all of you, especially you guys who haven't experienced this before. And in whatever way you're capable, I just encourage you, let your shields down. Lay down your defenses. We have a good God. How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's a good dad. He won't give you bad things. He'll give you good things. So let your shields down. Open your spirit. Open your heart. Heavenly Father, it's my privilege today to ask you to come and fill each one of these hearts with your Holy Spirit. Our hearts are open. The shields are down. We trust you to give us good gifts. Lord, would you baptize your people in the Holy Spirit? Lord, for those whose tanks are empty, fill them up to overflowing. Do it, Lord. Lord, especially for those in the room who've never been prayed for for the baptism in the Holy Spirit before, especially for them, immerse them, completely immerse them in the Spirit. Saturate them in your Spirit through and through, oh God. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would empower them for works of ministry. I ask, Lord, that you would put into them the gifts of the Spirit perfectly designed for them. And that you'd activate, you would stir up those gifts. Do it, Lord. And Lord, for those of us who've, who've experienced this before, Lord, I pray that you would... <laughs> That you top off our cup. Lord, I pray that you would stir up old gifts that maybe have been dormant for a long time. Stir them up. 
Lord, I ask that the gifts of the Spirit that Jesus operated in when he walked to the earth, that those gifts would operate in us, that just like Jesus, we could perceive what the Father's doing. Lord, I pray that the gifts of the Spirit that operated in the church in Corinth, that they would operate at the church here in Charlottetown. Lord, I ask that you give us everything you have for us. Not one thing more and not one thing less. Lord, I pray that you would disciple us to be people who can proclaim and demonstrate the gospel, the good news of your kingdom. Take us from here to there. Make that a reality in our lives. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God is so good. I love and appreciate you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. And um, I'll see you next Sunday.